0: Daily Premier League News and Views. This is Football Social Daily.
2: Welcome to Football Social Daily, not only the only daily Premier League podcast you'll find, but also the very best news and current affairs podcast in the world, hey. as <laughs> judged by the Sports Podcast Awards last week. Champione, champione. Etc. Et Thank you very much if you did vote. Thank you very much if you listened. And congratulations to the whole team here. We're absolutely chuffed to pick up the award, but I have no doubt you've heard us bang on about it enough. So instead, we're going to talk about what we're good at talking about, and that is football. It's a busy week in the Premier League this week. There's loads of games to go out. We've got European football later in the week to contend with. We've got a relegation six-pointer between Burnley and Everton later in the week and that will all be covered on Football Social Daily so make sure you've hit subscribe or follow so you don't miss any of the action. Today we have a more grumpy than usual Marley Anderson on the podcast as he watched his Newcastle team get down 5-1 by a resurgent Spurs last night. On the flip side, that's three losses in a row for the Magpies as the bubble burst in the Northeast. East. Nile here as well on today's pod fresh from his break in Tuscany, full of pizza and wine, and probably with all that positivity and nice stuff flowing through your blood, it's going to be really tricky for you to come up with some negativity later as we do Get In The Sea which is our regular Monday moan about the weekend's football. We're also going to be looking ahead to tonight's Premier League match between Crystal Palace and Arsenal. Can Michael Arteta prove he was worthy of his Manager of the Month award for March that he picked up last week? Or will Patrick Vieira have something to say about that? So let's talk about last night's football, boys. Newcastle United won Tottenham 5 how does that feel, Morley? Morley, <laughs> <Marley? laughs> how does that feel, more? I was combining the word mauling and Marley there. How does it feel, Marley, after that mauling? Was it a bit of a reality check, or does it feel like, well, do you know what, that's job done, survival's pretty much in the bag, so it doesn't really matter so much.
3: Well, good to see the standards are still high on the uh, award-winning <laughs> best news and current affairs podcast in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, I, put it this way: I went to a uh, a. a sort of birthday party on Saturday night and there was an Elvis impersonator and I didn't realise that was as good as my weekend was gonna get. <laughs> um so yeah, so that was that was as good as it got. I sat there and watched the played football on Sunday, then I came back and watched the game and we were just we were shocking. We were, we were just so bad. Um everywhere, up front, poor, defensively awful. Um and even going ahead um was, was probably the worst thing that could because I feel like we got a bit complacent and just thought, Yeah, well, you know, we've been playing well, so you kind of they just forgot about how good Spurs are up front and how good Spurs can be. So um it was soon went went belly up sort of thing. Um and conceding the goal just before half time, well well, two minutes after we scored actually was never was never great. And then the second half performance was an absolute liability. Um could have been, could have been more. I think Son missed a one on one. There's a couple of chances went begging for for Spurs as well. Um, so it could have been six or seven. But to to have the five is still stings a bit. But I think you just sort of seeing the the team um, get a bit stale and get a bit mm. get a bit used to playing well. Whereas before it was like we need the points because we need to survive, and now it's like well the points will come if we play like this and it just it doesn't work like that um, a couple of shocking performances Mankio was, was terrible at right back and Dan Byrne was awful as well and even Cher was crap as well so the three of them when three out of your back four have shockers like that you're not going to contain Harry Kane and and Young Min Son and Kulisevsky and, and the wing backs as well which uh,
2: all did the damage for them Two follow up questions for you then one the Elvis impersonator was it Fat Elvis in a jumpsuit? No, but he did have his own hair, which wow,
3: okay. was, it wasn't a wig, um, okay. which was a hell of a lot of effort to go to to uh,
2: to maintain that quiff type thing. <laughs> <laughs> Secondary question is, is it just not being good enough for Newcastle then? Because something's changed. That's three defeats in a row now. So considering the, mm. the change of fortunes when Eddie Howe came in, and I suppose a lot of those results early doors were kind of driven by Kieran Trippier, and he's been missing, so mm-hmm. is he part of the problem, the fact he's disappeared out of the squad? I think he's a big miss
3: just because of his, his leadership as much as his quality um, and his attitude towards just how he plays, basically. He's, he's a real sort of captain, even if he's not wearing the armband, if if that makes sense. Um, but I think, to be fair, the, the previous two defeats to, um, to Everton and to Chelsea, um, Chelsea was heavily influenced by VAR, not giving us a penalty, and we should have had a point in that game. Um, and Everton, we just ran out of steam. Like we had four games in eleven days, all the way from home, um, and then we were just tired at that point. And then this one was just against a, a team that clicked. I mean, we always say if, if Spurs click, they can be they can be that fourth best team in the league, maybe even higher if they click for a full season. Mm. Um, but their, their inconsistency has the only been been the only consistent thing about them this season. So if they do click then they're a quality side and we just didn't have anything to 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 match them up with we didn't our defense wasn't good enough and our counter attacking wasn't good enough um and our sort of flair players weren't good enough and romero was huge as well for the at the back for for spurs last night he he pocketed St maximan like he was nothing but um yeah just just one of them we need to get back to back to home we've had five away games on the spin now and i think the home form has been something that's been really good for us this season. So we've got Wolves on Friday night and it's a much bigger game than than uh, any of the other previous four, I would
2: say. What about Spurs then, Niall? Because we have criticised them for much of the season and they seem to be getting their act together now. Are they now favourites? I mean, they're in the top four now, obviously. If Arsenal win tonight, we'll talk about that later. They go back into the top four. But Arsenal and Spurs, they're both in form.
4: Maybe Spurs just edge it. Do you think they're favourites for top four? I don't think so and the reason is because as you say Arsenal play Crystal Palace tonight which we'll talk about in a minute but also there is two games in hand that Arsenal had uh, over Tottenham so we always tend to do this don't we? we always tend to give the teams points even though they haven't won the yeah. games and Arsenal have got some difficult games coming up they've got Manchester United I think in a few weeks as well which would be an interesting one but I still think Arsenal are in are in-pole position um, I just think with those two games in hand two wins and they will be six points clear of Tottenham. And I think it's theirs to lose still at this point. But, you know, you never know the psychological edge of dropping below Tottenham. And Tottenham fans um, have always seen Arsenal kind of usurp them late on in a season. In years gone by, there's kind of a joke amongst the Arsenal fans where they call it St. Totteringham's Day, which is the day <laughs> where Arsenal inevitably finish above Tottenham in the league table. Um, so there's certainly a, a bit of a quip there between those two sides. But that's not to say Tottenham couldn't do it. They definitely could because, as Marley says, you know, if they click and they perform consistently between now and the end of the season, then they, they're a match for anyone in the league, let alone you know anyone in the top four. So I definitely think that there's a possibility of doing that. But for every time we see Tottenham win a game like this, win convincingly and perform well, They don't ever back it up the next game. Hmm. You know, we saw that win against Manchester City and then they went um, and threw it away in the next game. They uh, ended up throwing it away against Southampton. You know, they lost to Burnley. So there are results there with Spurs where you think, is this the time they've turned a corner? Is this the moment in which they're going to kick on and be consistent? But yet there's always another result a couple of weeks down the line, which makes you think it rewinds it back to everything that there was before. So yeah, Tottenham, they're definitely contenders. Are they favourites for me? No, I still think that that's Arsenal.
2: What have you made of the additions that came in in January? Dejan Kulosenski and <laughs> Rodrigo Bentaker, who seem to have... I mean, their their appearance in the first team seems to have coincided with Spurs' slight change in fortune. Do you think they've been instrumental in turning around that form?
4: I like both players a lot. Um, Bentanker I think, has been really useful for them in the middle of the park. Owen, who works for us here at Sport Social, is a Tottenham fan. And he says that the fact that they've missed Oliver Skip has been actually quite important to them in their midfield this season. He's been injured. He's not been available. And so then to go and sign someone like Ben Tanker in January and for him to kind of slide in there and look accomplished. And I think he's a better player in that midfield than what they've got. I think personally he's better than Winks. I think he's definitely better than Hoybier. So for me, I think Ben Tanker has been um, a, an excellent addition, but Kuleshevsky has been better for me. I think he's been a better addition. Um, we talk about Tottenham's forward players and how they can make the difference. Son, Kane, Lucas Moura, three players who are on their day, if they can all fire in, in sync, in, in sync, then there's a good chance that Tottenham win. Um, we talked about when Christian Eriksen left, there was a problem that creativity needed to be filled. I think uh, you can add him to that list now. And I suppose there needs to be that sort of contingency plan for Tottenham because there's a chance that they could lose players Mm. as much as sign them. We've known about the interest in Harry Kane for the last 18 months, two years. So, you know, there's a potential that players could depart. But I think both players have been excellent. Yeah, I really do. And, you know, if they do finish fourth at the end of the season, I think we can happily sit and say, well, Tottenham didn't do much in the transfer window in the last few years, but the two signings that Conte did manage to bring in, Ben Tanker and Kulishevsky, have both been really, really important. But I guess it's one of those where they have been influential now, but the proof is in the pudding at the end of the season. Two players that Conte didn't seem particularly impressed with, the fact he'd brought them
2: in, and he was again downplaying his chances of getting that top four position. He was backing Arsenal to get that Champions League spot. As Niall mentions there, Marley, there is a question mark over the future of certain Spurs players, not least Harry Kane. But I suppose that future hasn't been decided. The only team that were previously interested in Kane or could previously afford Kane were Manchester City. The signs at Manchester City are they're going to be going under Haaland in the summer, so Kane will be surplus to requirements. So is that what Spurs are playing for now? Is Conte playing to not only get that Champions League spot, but potentially hang on to Harry Kane and keep him in North London? Because I'm sure... If Harry Kane feels he can win stuff at Spurs, he would stay there. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's probably got to look at the previous ten years and say what well, have I won recently? Like, you can <laughs> you can look at Spurs and say yeah they're equipped to win stuff, but until you win something, it's just it's just a pipe dream, isn't it? Yeah, really? It's it's, it's, yeah, it's mm. just it's not not it's not there. So, but I mean, that's the thing with Kane. Like everyone would love to sign him, but only two or three clubs in the world could sign him. Um, one of them is Man City, the other is probably PSG, um, maybe Real Madrid if they got everything sorted out. But you know, that just leaves Man City really because we all know Kane probably wants the all-time Premier League goal scorers' um record mm. from Chira So you know, if if City don't go for him, which I don't expect them to go back in for him, um, where is where is Kane at his best? Because that it could well still be Spurs, like. Conte is a big factor in it. If 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 it was Nuno still and they were just like dithering along, just sort of not really going anywhere, sort of treading water, I can I could you know understand him going. No, I'm not staying here at all. But with Conte, I think I think Conte is the type of guy who who could convince you that you could win the league. Whether whether you were the Sunday League side playing in the Premier League, you'd still think you could win something under him because he's that he's that like an effervescent character. He's Somebody that that players really play for, I think. Um, and once we've kind of seen it now, once Spurs got on got on board with him a bit more, then you know they're starting to produce results. You know they mm-hmm. smashed us yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's three in a row they've won now. Um, you know the Burnley game was an abomination, obviously, but that that was a <laughs> that was a, a sort of turning point for them. They had to be like, right, well that can't happen again. Um, and it hasn't so far. So you know, Kane's. Options are limited and Conte uh, obviously wants to keep him. Kane's got everything he needs. He's got enough money there. Son's just got his um, long-term future at Spurs as well, so it's not like the squad's going to get pulled apart whether whether he's there or not. Um, And yeah, it might, might just
4: well be the best option left for him. I've got a question which kind of deviates away from the Harry Kane thing, but just in terms of what Marley was saying about Tottenham as a team in general... Obviously, Newcastle's famous team from the 90s was called the Entertainers. And that's looked back on fondly as a, mm. a successful side in Newcastle's history. Um, but they came close. You know, They got to some FA Cup finals. They had a good um, title run at uh, one stage. But they never managed to get over the line. Whereas I feel now there, is, there are comparisons to be made with that Tottenham team where everyone goes, oh, remember that Tottenham team under Pochettino where they got to the Champions League final and they had a title run. Would that be a fair comparison, do you reckon? Marley, I suppose you're the best person to answer that. Not in terms of how good each team is if they played against each other, just more people will look back at that moment in time and, as a snapshot and say, oh, remember that period when? And it's just a shame that you that's can't depressing go... depressing for both teams, isn't it? The yeah, it's a shame you can't go, go, remember get. when we won the FA Cup or remember when we won the Champions League. Do you know what I'm saying? Did
2: it ever feel that Spurs were that close? Did it ever feel like that? It never felt to me like they were genuine (laughs) Premier League contenders. They got
4: to the final of the Champions League. I mean, there's always a chance when that happens. A
2: chance, yeah. But it was always Liverpool that were the favourite team in that scenario, wasn't it?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% Liverpool were the favourites. I just think it's an interesting question because, Mm. you know, we talk about Tottenham as this top four side and can they get in the Champions League but when we talk about them in terms of success obviously because they haven't won a trophy for so long we look back at that period and go remember when they had Pochettino and Mm. remember when they had Kane and this happened and this happened and this happened we never talk about them in terms of winning a trophy and I don't know whether Marley agrees or not because he'll look back on that team with Shearer who was a top striker much like Kane they had other players who were were exceptionally good fun to watch and they played good football and they came very, very close and they had a manager that they loved at Newcastle, much like they did at Tottenham. So I just, for me, it just naturally brought about comparisons in my head, but I don't yeah. know what you think.
3: I've never really thought about it like that, but that's because it's Spurs, in it? So it's, just, it's <laughs> not really my my bag, but yeah, there's probably similarities. But I think with with uh, Newcastle of the 90s, it was more like we we played a very strange way to everyone else like we just went gung-ho it was like everyone attacks no one really defends mm. <laughs> we'll try and win 5-4 or, or put th- score three every week something like that but yeah I don't know I think with Spurs nostalgia is like a good thing because um, it's just one of them in it? like it's easy to look back a few years ago and say that team was class but they weren't looking at it at the time and saying we can win the title with this team I don't I don't feel like they were doing that anyway mm. Cause, like, when things age in football, don't they? Like quite well. Like, yeah. You see, you see stuff like, oh, the streets will never forget players and stuff like that. And it's like a delta wrapped. And nine times out of ten, he was. Yeah. yeah. But one time out of ten, he'll do nine step step-overs and one in the top corner, won't he? Yeah. And it's like brilliant. I have said this before. It's like looking at old relationships. Yeah. Rose tinted like, yeah. glasses. <laughs> yeah, you look back it? on yeah. The yeah. fondly. You remember the good yeah, bits. Of course. You can't go. You can't go back and be like. Because if if you went back and relived those those moments, you were like, "This team's not good enough there and there, and you know I'm gonna defensive midfielder or something like that," and that's why we didn't win things. And I think with Spurs, it's like, Pochettino was was a great guy, but I mean, it did it did end terribly. Like they mm-hmm. were they were really poor when mm-hmm. it when it came to an end, and it had to come to an end. Um, and we're seeing it. You know, Pochettino's moved on, and not won a trophy since. So, mm-hmm. well. I'm not counting the the French charity shield thing. Well,
4: talking <laughs> of French, did you see David Ginola on uh, Sky Sports and what he said about Newcastle? What did you make of that? I didn't see it. What did he say? He basically I turned just, it straight
3: off after you believe it or not. <laughs> he
4: basically just um, he just said that they need to rip up the whole team and start again at Newcastle, which is exactly probably what they're going to do. Well, maybe, but they've signed some good players, mm. and you know they've not they've not been um that poor for a long time. No a result like that, and I just thought it was really interesting. He said, "You know, you can't get beat five one. It's just not acceptable." Um, and, and you know, he was uh, he was he was quite scathing in his assessment of Newcastle. Um Obviously, he still has a passion for the club, but um I just thought it was interesting mm. what
2: you'd, he said. You'd like to think Newcastle's results are going to improve when you look at their fixtures: Wolves, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Norwich City are the next four. There's some points in that. But as for Spurs, how long will they maintain their top four position? Potentially not long because it comes down to what Arsenal can do tonight at Crystal Palace. Just a single point will be enough to reclaim that top four spot. We'll talk about the game next on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Crystal Palace versus Arsenal is Monday night football. Instantly, if you want to get a review of the weekend's action, you can join Fergal at the team on last night's podcast. Go back in your podcast feed and have a listen to Sunday night's Football Social Daily. All the big games discussed, including that shock 4-1 victory for Brentford over Chelsea across the weekend but tonight it is a London derby it's Crystal Palace versus Arsenal can Arsenal grab fourth again with a win or even a draw against Palace tonight at Selhurst Park one defeat in the last seven for
4: Arsenal they're going to fancy their chances going into this one now. yeah I think so I think Arsenal are the favourites they have to be if they want to finish fourth they need to be beating teams like Crystal Palace but as we've seen in games this season where Palace have played the so-called elite clubs they've made it tough for them. They've not made it easy and Manchester City would be the prime example of that where they've beaten and drawn with Manchester City in their two games with the league leaders this season. So it's definitely something to to bear in mind. I certainly think with Crystal Palace being managed by Patrick Vieira that adds another interesting dynamic which will be yep. something worth looking out for this evening at Selhurst Park. But I certainly feel that, that Arsenal have to win tonight and they will win tonight. They had Aaron Ramsdale injured uh, before the international break. He pulled out of the England squad. He's had a, a couple of weeks to recover. Maybe he'll be back. Saka as well had COVID for Well, COVID inverted he, commas for <laughs> England. Well, yeah. And he could well return. And that will only be a boost uh, to Arsenal. But I was looking at the stats before this game. And Christian Benteke, I think, has scored more goals against Arsenal in his career than any other club. Wow. Uh, so maybe one to watch, you know, watch out for big Christian. He could be a out and about hunting for those goals tonight, but... you will do well to score off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, for me, Arsenal, I mean, we can boil this game down to who wants it more and mm-hmm. Palace are going to finish mid-table and Arsenal have something to play for. So for me, it's got to be Arsenal.
2: It's interesting you mentioned the Man City game, which was the game just before the international break where Palace frustrated City in that one. And as you say, against the big teams, that's kind of what they've done this season. And yet we've got this idea in our heads that... Palace are a different team now they're not all about solid defensive football like they were with Roy Hodgson at the helm they've got a bit of attacking flair about them but actually is that where they're still at their best are they the frustrators are they able to stop the good teams rather than maybe play the dynamic football that the fans would want
4: Um, I'm not sure to be honest I, i I'll be fair and say I don't watch enough of Crystal Palace to make an honest assessment on that. But when you've got a midfield player like Conor Gallagher, who, of course, has been exceptional. He's been on loan from Chelsea this season at Palace and he's got himself into the England squad. He's someone who can do both. Mm -hmm. He can break up play. He can be frustrating. He can hold um, in front of the back four and screen the defence and be that sort of defensive pivot in the middle of the park for Palace. But also when he gets on the ball, he can drive the team forward. He scored a couple of goals this season. He knows how to pick a pass, so he's someone who can actually uh, be quite a dynamic midfielder. Um, I don't know if he's a traditional box-to-box midfielder, but he's certainly someone who, who's got that element to his game, and um, you know it, it's a it's a differential from what we see from some of the other uh, uh, players who you'd naturally think of as a defensively minded midfield player. So, you know, I, I certainly think they're capable of of doing doing both. And Vieira was a a player himself who was known for being this combative midfielder, Roy Keane and him were the two kind of iconic midfielders of that generation mm. when Arsenal and Manchester United were competing for the Premier League. But both of those players, particularly Roy Keane, had an eye for goal. You'd see Roy Keane popping up every now and again scoring goals. It wasn't like you know he he kind of scored once a season or you know he'd had a couple, two or three goals a season quite comfortably. So I certainly think that that Gallagher fits that mould. So he's someone who I'd say would 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 fit those criteria. But going forward, um, I don't think it's been their issue. I think it's been conceding goals late in games. Mm. I think that's been the biggest issue. I don't know the statistics, but it wouldn't shock me if Palace conceded the most goals after the 85th minute in the Premier League this season. I can think of a number of games. I mean, against Brighton, they conceded Uh, late in one of the derby matches they had this season with the Seagulls. Arsenal, Uh, Arsenal, earlier this season. Yeah, conceded late. I mean, that's just two examples. And I know there are others that I can't remember right now. But um, if only Crystal Palace had held on to the points that they dropped or lost uh, from conceding late goals, then they might even be in the top half quite comfortably. So that's something to bear in mind. I think the fans are really happy with Vieira and his style of play and how they've performed. They're 12th at the moment, but it's a better 12th than what they had under Roy Hodgson, if that makes sense. Mm. It's still 12th. It's still a similar position yeah. to where they were under Roy. If they're playing better football and they're enjoying it more, then I'd suggest that the Palace fans would take that.
2: Crystal Palace have only beaten Arsenal four times out of 43 Premier League encounters, by the way. So the stats aren't good for this one. But as for Arsenal, Mikel Arteta's has just won the manager of the month through March, as I mentioned earlier, Marley. Is he finding his feet now? Or is this another false dawn? We've talked about this so many times, the fact that he seems to take two steps forward then two steps back again. Do you think finally he's turning into the manager to take Arsenal forward into the future? Yeah, it's, it seems like it, doesn't it?
3: Um, I think when he came in, there was a lot of strange decisions, you know, the ones to sign certain players like Willian and uh, David Louise and, and a few others. Um, and then there was the the Xhaka situation where he was... You know, nearly nearly booted out the club and there's a lot of things that are going on that he had to deal with um, and it took a strong personality and a strong like, management style to, to actually sort that out and he seems to have come through the side of it now and he's he's put his faith in the youth and he's found a system that gets Saka, Martinelli, Odegaard um, all in the team and, and playing in the best positions sort of thing so um, the, the defence has improved I think Gabriel and White are a decent foundation at the back um, and the, I think they've missed Tommy Asu a bit um, at right back, but Cedric's been all right in that in that holding that um, right back role. So you've got um, the building blocks there to start something next season. And if you if you make assumptions about how young players sort of evolve with game time, you would suggest that they're going to be better next season. You know, mm. once you get more experience and you get uh, you know you get five or six. Twenty-one to twenty-five year olds in your team, you're gonna get better season on season, um, and if they can add a striker in the summer, um, or or two strikers ideally, um, they would be a real, really strong team next season because the building blocks are there. Like I said, you know, Saka and Martinelli was superb in his last game. Like mm. he was, he's just, he's a ridiculous, ridiculously talented player. Um, and if they can get the best out of him and and Saka and Smith Rowe coming off the bench and things like that. Then fair play, like Arsenal could could comfortably finish fourth this season, and then push on next season. If you've seen what's happened to Chelsea, you don't know what their owners, ownership situation is going to be like next year. So could they be got at in the third best team in the league type of uh, um, discussion? So I think Arsenal could be uh,
2: could be well set for a, a little push. Arsenal deserve a bit of credit for that, don't they? Hanging on with Arteta because there was a lot of criticism and a lot of people calling for yeah. Arteta to kind of go when it wasn't quite working out. But we've said for ages that something needed to happen at Arsenal. They needed to have a clear out. They needed to get rid of the yes, bad eggs. Someone had mentality. to do that. Yeah.
3: Someone had to do that. And it doesn't matter whether it's Arteta or the next guy or the next guy or the next guy. Someone's still got to come in and possibly even like sacrifice themselves to you get a grip on it. Yeah. Like sometimes it can be like. Like we could have seen a situation with Arteta where he went right, Aubameyang go, Xhaka go, and a few other people's people go, and then he the results could have went south, and he could have been sacked. Mm. But he still would have done a good job in the long run because he got rid of the problem and got rid of that virus at, at Arsenal, which was the the, um, the the sort of attitude of the players. Whereas, what's the attitude of the senior players,
4: which is concerning?
3: Mm. Yeah, well, that's but like. Because you cause you have to put that faith in the younger lads, yeah. y- you know you never know how that's going to go. And luckily, and 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 you know it's it's worked out for him so far. And fair play to him because that that work always needed doing. Like I said, you know, um, if it was Unai Emery, it might not have gone as well. You never know. But you know, instead they all just you know took the mick out of him for trying to say good evening every uh, everything, and then they binned him off after a few bad results. But he knew there was a problem there. And the problem was still there when Arteta was there, and he was like, right, this is yeah. a problem. But it takes a big set of balls to, to say, right, Aubameyang, off you go. Mm-hmm. You know, 100 goals in whatever, um, 150 games, something, something weird like that. Um, And yeah,
2: fair play to him for, for coming out the other side of it and looking like a stronger club. You mentioned some of the team news questions, Niall, earlier with... Potentially Aaron Ramsdale missing tonight. Saka potentially coming back from COVID. We don't know whether either of those will be available for Crystal Palace. Lise looks like he's still out. Wolf-Sahar may or may not be back after a hamstring injury as well. But that Wolf-Sahar question mark, once there was a time when if Wilfred Sahar wasn't playing, Palace would write off their chances from day one. Is he still as important to that team? Or have they managed to build around him so they're stronger across the park now?
4: I'd say the latter. I think that you're right with what you say. There was a time last season where if Wilfred Zaha wasn't in the Crystal Palace starting eleven, their chances of winning were diminished quite significantly. And I think the statistics are there to support that. Mm. I can't remember what they are, but I remember seeing some at some point that, you know, their record without Zaha compared to with in Premier League games over the last couple of seasons is quite stark in terms of they lose far more when he's not in the team. But, I'd agree with what you said there and, and that they've managed to to build a, a way of playing which they don't rely as heavily on Wilfred Zaha. I think they've got better attacking players. I think, though, that the fact that they could be missing Michael Elise tonight is important because to have Zaha and Elise missing two important creative players, that will be a blow to Patrick Vieira. There's no doubt about it. I think elise has been one of the outstanding young talents in the Premier League this season. I think he's been brilliant, um, super consistent, still only, I think, 19 or 20 um, scary to think how good he could potentially become. So I think that's a really uh, bright prospect for Crystal Palace fans to be excited about. But he might not play. But I'd agree, though, in general, that the general um, point of the fact that they are less reliant on Wilfred Zaha, I would 100% go along with that. But missing Elise tonight, whether that um, makes a difference, so too missing Wilfred Zaha against a team as good as Arsenal. Yeah, that that's, that will be interesting this evening to see. But I just think in general, uh, from a general perspective, I would absolutely agree with the fact that they are less reliant on Wilfred Zaha. I don't know if the statistics back that up, but it feels like that from the good old-fashioned eye test. Well, if you go back to February 2001, Crystal Palace
2: went through a run of... Losing 18 out of 20 Premier League games when Walford Sahar didn't play. 2001? Two, 2021. Yeah. Sorry, Sahar looked well for a 45 year old, <laughs> didn't he? 2021. So the stats are there to back that up anyway. That game, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal, is tonight kicks off 8 o'clock UK time. Right, we're going to get all grumpy next. It's time for our Monday moan. We're going to be putting something in the sea that we didn't like from the weekend's football action. We'll wrap up Football Social Daily with that next.
0: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. Let's get grumpy. Let's get something in the sea. We're going to have a moan about something that's wound us up over the weekend's footballing action. Niall, you can go first. What are you getting grumpy about?
4: I am getting grumpy about, well, I couldn't decide actually, but I may as well just stick the whole club in the sea and that's Everton. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. I I saw Frank Lampard's post-match interview saying that he felt that his side deserved something from the game. They had a decent (laughs) first half, but I thought they were rubbish. Hmm. I thought they were absolutely rubbish. And it's, what, seven out of 11 Premier League games that he's lost now since he's taken over as Everton manager. um, I really like Frank Lampard. He was one of my favourite ever Premier League players growing up. Um, And obviously I was biased towards my team when we were in the Premier League and Lampard was part of a Chelsea side that that beat us in an FA Cup final 12 years ago. So, you know, there's an understanding there that um, maybe you were watching someone great play at that time. I mean, I remember watching Drogba and Lampard for Chelsea against us and I was thinking these two are just a different level of quality. And to have the most goals for a Premier League midfielder, my respect for Lampard is is really, really high. But I couldn't agree with what he said. I just think he tried to throw the players under the bus a couple of weeks ago before the international break, saying this isn't good enough and you know, he used some very interesting terminology which we don't normally hear from Frank Lampard. That didn't work. Um you can try and put an arm around the shoulder. That doesn't work. I think Everton will survive. I think they will, but it's not gonna be easy. And what it's what gonna be beyond close. that.
2: Because at the moment they'll be right back in that relegation
4: fight again. Well, survival—they you know can't recruit. Survival properly. is key. Survival. I mean, mm. you can only look at the short term at the moment. The long term is they've got the stadium, haven't they? Coming at Everton in the next couple of seasons, but if they're in the Championship, mm. then who knows what happens with that stadium and what happens with the infrastructure, what happens with the club? They've lost more money than any other club in the Premier League, I think, over recent years. Um, Alisher Usmanov is a Russian businessman who was uh, partially funding the club through his sponsorship um, with the company USM. That's been thrown into doubt due to the current crisis and war in Ukraine. Um, so I think that there are so many question marks over Everton. And the reason that they could only sign players like Damari Gray for a million pounds and Andros Townsend, who's out for the rest of the season, by the way, with an injury on a free transfer, was because they spent so much money yeah. on stuff. And they just can't afford to do that anymore. So what Lampard does with that in the summer is interesting to me because if Everton are shackled by financial restraint due to lack of investment from sponsors, due to a new stadium, due to the fact that they can't keep losing money hand over fist, that actually probably quite suits Lampard, Mm. considering what he did at Derby and then more in particular what he did at Chelsea when they had a transfer embargo and there was probably less... um, to work with in that respect so I think that will be a real telltale sign if he keeps them up in the summer what he does and how they come out swinging if so next season if they even do that we'll, we'll wait and see but the fact that he said that I know he's not going to throw his players under the bus again in as many weeks because that's never a good look but for him to come out and say that his side deserves something in the game that they had against West Ham I, I can't agree with that and equally this is why I'm putting all of Everton in, in the seed today Michael Keane He's having a shocking season. Shocking, shocking season. He got sent off after 60-something minutes. Um, West Ham had just retaken the lead, I think, through Jared mm-hmm. Bowen. That was a scrappy, not a scrappy goal, but Everton shouldn't poor. have really conceded the it. Warby's, yeah, it was...
3: A touch yeah. was yeah. It's, it's a poor goal, it's it's, yeah. Better in year seven match. yeah. It's a better-in-year seven football
4: match. It's a poor, poor goal. I mean, Awobi could chuck him in the sea for, yeah, while got, we're at it. I've but got, so but Michael Keane think... getting sent off... When you're two-one down with 30 minutes left of the match to play and you're chasing the game and you're having a terrible season, mm. he's now going to miss the next game. Mm-hmm. It's just. I think what it's are quite you doing? telling the what red cards, doing?
2: as Marley says, it's their third red card in three games, and yeah. that's normally indicative of a team that's in trouble. Because if you're, you only get sent off either you do something stupid or you're caught out of position or you're being overrun. It's kind of like it's a desperation thing, isn't it? A red card, and that kind of is a sign that the team are not. Playing well, yeah. I think with 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 the way Everton's red cards
3: have come about as well, they were just they weren't bad challenges. They were just misjudgments, but misjudgments that have come from mistakes that lead you to yeah. ha- you have to make the foul. Mm. Like Alan on on Saint Maximan uh, the other week, like Saint Maximan was just skinning through the midfield and he just went to you. I'm having you, and he just scythed him down, and it was like. But it was so obvious and, and quite dangerous um, that he got given a red card for it. And it was like, that's come as a, as a mistake. You've all you've let him turn, you've let him run, so you have to now foul him. And Keane got spun by Antonio yesterday, had to pull him back, had to, had to chop him basically. Mm. And then the second one on the edge of the box, they're all panicking. Just keep a calm head and stay in your line. And Keane goes diving in on, uh, was it Bowen? Mm, um, and yeah. give away the free kick, and you've just conceded from from a free kick earlier in the game. So don't give them a free kick, and instead he, he he dives in. And there's just there's not much there's no brains at Everton at the minute. They they're making silly decisions, and uh, they've just they've just got to hope that the three teams are worse than
2: them mm. to be fair. We're going to have to drag Richarlison out of the sea, having been just put in the sea, because I want to put him back in the sea after dragging him out of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> because I want to put him in the sea for his play acting. And we've talked about this in the podcast before, players rolling around on the floor for absolutely no reason. And he was, he's been one of the main culprits of the Premier League for the last few seasons. And he was at it again in the West Ham game. So what happened is he was fouled, he fell over. He then had the ball kicked against him from close range from Aaron <laughs> Cresswell. Was a bit silly, but Aaron Cresswell, he was trying to get the throw in, basically. Could have killed him, as Berkey yeah, well, said. <laughs> I mean, I, I've had the ball kicked at me from closer than that and harder than that. And I didn't roll around on the floor. And I've been hit on the shoulder and it didn't defer the pain into my face at any point. So I'm not sure Richarlison <laughs> needed to be rolling around holding his face after having the ball kicked into his shoulder.
4: I think what we said the other week when we were talking about something similar was that players now are just looking for any differential any margin mm. to try and gain an advantage over the opponent and if that's play acting to try and get someone cheating. sent off but it's cheating because yeah, that's I, what he was trying to do was I trying guess, to get Aaron I, guess. Off. I mean well it's the same thing as you know like deliberate fouls is that cheating well no technically it's not um you know is it is it going down under contact in the box is it cheating no because it's contact but it's also trying to deceive the referee and There is a grey area there. I'm not saying I agree with it, by the way. I'm totally with you. I'm just Mm. playing devil's advocate. We see this a lot. Um, You know, like, I always use Luis Suarez as an example because he's so dramatic and exaggerates everything, but he just wants to win so badly that he doesn't care about anything else. I once in one of my favourite clips of
3: Suarez being a bit of a... uh...
4: bell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um,
3: Was when it was Uruguay versus Chile, and... um... Somebody ran on the pitch, and the the stewards were doing that thing where like, he was he was a, sort of a athletic lad. He was fast. The stewards just couldn't catch him. So the guy was running along the pitch, and Gonzalo Jara or Hara, um, who plays for Chile, just, just stuck his leg out and tripped the um, the supporter who was running around so the stewards could catch him. And no no quicker had he touched. Um, this fella's leg. Suarez ran to the referee, and he was doing the through <laughs> and he was trying to get Harris sent off because
2: he'd clipped a, uh, a a member of the crowd. There's something slightly charming about a shit house like Suarez, though. Isn't yeah. and I don't think Richarlison well, um, has the same thing. It's like yeah, Richarlison like... hasn't
4: bitten anyone, though. No, there's,
2: there's a difference there. I I do think this is where VAR comes into its own in that. Suddenly, you see this play acting for what it is, because when you watch it again and you realise where the contact's made. I mean, look, well, at... Son did it a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. I throw him in the sea for that because yeah. he, was, he was ridiculous, pathetic. And I see, I see it with kids' football as well. So my lad, I've talked about him playing football before. He's eight years old. He plays in kids' teams. The kids do it. They, oh, just, wa- they watch any... it on Premier League highlights, and they'll be rolling around the floor. And there's a slight stand against it from some of the young kids. Like you'll see, you're a Neymar. Being thrown around as an insult in <laughs> like <you're laughs> such brilliant. a name, so yeah, there is a kind of little bit of a resistance you're to right it, but I want to get w- I wanna see
3: a really niche thing of like you know, someone puts a bad tackling in, and you're a Michael Keane, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> yeah. somewhat dead niche, and never let all the other kids go, What? That'll be <laughs> on Merseyside think, uh,
4: this weekend. Do you think grassroots referees should be stepping in then? Do you think that they is should it, be sending kids off? I know no one wants to send a kid off because the, think the whole point is for them to off. have fun and play the game. I'd send a kid off. It's up to the coaches. They'd learn a lesson. It's, it's they? up to the coaches. I'd send a kid off so if he off. ran
3: to the corner and did Mbappe's celebration. I'd be like,
2: nope, off. <laughs> it's all about Ronaldo's celebration around these parts, oh, Marley. You God. should know that. Everybody uh, right, shouts <laughs> One more, get like, in the well, sea. What are you going for?
3: Um, for me, but I could have put I could have put one of the Everton Everton things in the sea as well because plenty of that wound me up at the weekend, but. Um, I'm gonna go for for Roy Hodgson um, because I was watching match of the day before on the way into work and uh, I seen him uh, moaning about Jota's foul um, that was given as a penalty, you know, in the last minute of the Liverpool Watford game. Um, and I was like, "What's what's he? What's he going on about here?" And you seen the challenge, and I, I can't remember who it was on. On Jotter, who basically just wrestled him to the floor, physically had had two hands round him, wasn't looking at the ball and it was the clearest penalty you've ever seen. And then Hodgson comes out and he's like, whoa, that's not what VAR's for. <laughs> yes, it is, Roy. Yes, it is. And I don't know what he thinks VAR's for. Um, you know, watch to, to watch reruns of Doctors on BBC One or something like that. <laughs> but it, it is absolutely for missing things, things that the referee's missed. The referee's got... I mean, how many players are in the box at a penalty? Eighteen, maybe. Um, so he's got plenty of stuff to watch, and he can't see everything. So when the the game, when the ball gets cleared, and the referees' assistant in the in the VAR room are looking at it, that's exactly what it's for. It's for have we missed anything there that could have been um, a potential, you know, golden iron opportunity, or just a clear foul, basically? And you look at Jota, and he, all he's trying to do is he's got his eyes on the ball, he's looking for it. Um, trying to get a touch on it, and is the the player is is being marked by has just got his two hands around his waist and he's just making sure he, he he gets to the floor rather than gets to the ball. Um. So yeah, Hodgson for me for just not understanding what VAR is for. It's like that is that is literally what it's brought in for. Oh, I didn't think we
2: used it for that. The, the, <laughs> the quote, the quote what do you from, think it was for? The quote from Roy Hodgson is. Should I try the Roy Hodgson voice? Oh. No. <laughs> okay. Right, oh, I won't. They'll rescind our award if you <laughs> <do. laughs> Jurgen didn't see it. He's asking me what's happening. I'm saying, I don't know. What is it? Not one of the Liverpool players complained about having been fouled. For the game to be stopped in the 88th minute and then being given the chance to seal it 2-0, it leaves a rather unpleasant taste in the mouth. <laughs> That's where we're with like, a bit of a whinge. Even that, like hinting that
3: the minute affects anything. Like, if you get fouled in the first minute, it's a penalty. If you get fouled in the 96th minute, it's a penalty. Mm. so oh it's in the 88th minute uh, what because you want a grandstand finish and you might nick a point at Anfield no sorry
4: right can I um, make a proposal that we change the name of this segment from getting the C to you're taking the (laughs) and just use the clip (laughs) of Roy Hodgson saying you're taking the (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as uh, as the intro to it, yes, um, that is an example. You, you've tried to change it to get in the bin
2: before, and I've I've rejected it. But I'm, if you can find the clip and we can use that, I'm perfectly happy to change the name of the feature. That, <laughs>
3: that was a really awkward
2: interview, wasn't it? It was yeah.
3: match of the day, wasn't it? The BBC guy and he, he properly <laughs> yeah. proper went for him. And at that point, I, I changed my opinion on because Rory Hodgson comes across like a, like a just a nice old man, but then you see him in that clip and you think,
2: oh, he's actually dick. <laughs> that and. Harry Redknapp complaining about
4: being uh, called a wheeler I dealer. I ain't wheeler f- <laughs> dealer. dealer. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. They're the two t- t- greatest
4: oh, post-match uh, interviews of all time. I'll tell you what, for the joy of the listeners, I'll insert those two clips into the podcast now so people can <laughs> listen to them.
1: And you mean, you've made your name as a wheeler and dealer. There's not no, been I'm much not wheeling a, and no, dealing yeah?
4: No, 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 I'm not a wheeler <laughs> and dealer. No, <laughs> oh, oh, no, I
1: didn't
4: mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. No, I'm not a f***ing dealer. Don't say that. I'm a football manager. No, no I'm, I'm genuinely. Well, let's start which again. One. Start again.
2: Which one? Well, how many were there? And well, only had two shots at goal. One was a penalty, and one was a strike at goal. Our goalkeeper saved. So, what decision are we talking about? Okay. So, so th- I, you know, let's let's not take a p- here. I, I certainly wasn't. Well, I think you are. But uh, there they are. I wasn't. Well, we we'll start again, shall we? Or yep. else you can use that if you want. No, no, I don't think they'll want that. Let's start again. It was a genuine question. Well, I won't mention it then. You know, there wasn't a p- penalty in the game. There wasn't one of those ridiculous situations in the game. That didn't happen. So let's just talk about our performance.
4: Roy, a satisfying day at the office? Yeah, I thought we played very well. First half, particularly, it was, a, it was a pretty even contest, did you not feel?
2: Not particularly, no. I thought we had the better of the first half, and I thought we had clearly the better of the second half. Any decisions in the game that you weren't happy with? No, we've already been through that. We went through that before you've uh, restarted the interview, so I'm not prepared to talk about decisions. If, if people who watch the television can't see what decisions I'm talking about, then let's forget about it lovely stuff right that is it for today's Football Social Daily thank you very much for listening make sure you've clicked follow subscribe or whatever the button is on your podcasting app so you never miss an episode like I said there's loads of football this week not least West Ham's journey to European football glory against (laughs) Lyon it continues (laughs) on Thursday night so make sure you're with us for that have a great week or have a great rest of the day and we'll see you tomorrow on Football Social Daily